Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Wimbledon semi-finals catch-up. Matteo Berrettini serves up a first Grand Slam final. Novak Djokovic sinks Shapovalov. And Ash Barty sets up a final showdown with Karolina Pliskova. Kim, we are heading into finals weekend at Wimbledon. I think it's fair to say that there was maybe a little bit more drama uh, yesterday with the, the ladies matches. But today we have had the victors, I think we have had in Novak Djokovic, Matteo Berrettini. I think we sort of were expecting those to come out as the the winners of their semifinals. And, and that's sort of what happened. And I think, you know, the general the general mood, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, we're just sort of marching towards, aren't we, to a, a Novak Djokovic title? It just feels very, feels very, very sedate. It feels very, very, very like we know what we're we're going to be letting ourselves in for on Sunday. Yeah, I feel like if Berrettini was to win, it would be like potentially <laughs> one of the greatest upsets of sport history ever. Because we know we said from the very beginning that Djokovic was the one to beat and that he probably was going to do it without, you know, batting an eyelid. And, uh, you know, it's been quite smooth sailing. He did have a bit more work to do today, but came through it with with flying colours, whatever Shapovalov was able to throw at him. Um, you know, it was quite a frustrating match. I mean, let's let's start with this match because, you know, Shapovalov, you know, he can't say he didn't have opportunities because he absolutely did. You know, he was a breakup in the first set, served for it, got broken and then I mean how many break points did he have in that second set I'm just I swear on almost every Djokovic service game you know Shapovalov was getting opportunities and I mean fair play to Djokovic he was able to um to to, to save pretty much all of them and you know on the big points Shapovalov was just not able to convert and you know very frustrating um you know for for Shapo fans and for him and but I mean, positive as well that he was able to obviously get those opportunities to begin with. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, looking at the scoreline, 7-6, 7-5, I think it was quite impressive how Shapovalov, despite kind of all of those opportunities he had, particularly in, in the first set and the second set, he didn't let it get to him. He did. He was able to kind of reset and Djokovic wasn't necessarily able to run away with it like he has been able to do with this week uh sorry in the last kind of couple of weeks against you know certain opponents um you know going in leading into kind of the semi-finals but as you said Shapovalov I think will be particularly ruining that first set the fact that he was serving for it Djokovic wasn't really playing that good tennis really um we've seen we've seen much better I think Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon on on center court and you know Shapovalov if he really wanted to kind of put pressure on the, the Djokovic game and kind of take this into unexpected territory 
you felt like that first set was a real, you know, it was really essential. And although he was playing his service games, you know, really, really well up until, you know, until, up until when he kind of served for it, it, it just really showed, I think, that despite playing a really good level of, of tennis, when it just came to those big points, he he just had a bit of inexperience there, a bit of potentially it's a bit of kind of naivety and, and Djokovic almost kind of smelt his his opportunity there to kind of get back on get back on track and you know even though it went to a, a tie break yeah you know, the fact that it got there in the first place would have been a bit of a it would have been a bit of a disappointment i think for Shapovalov yeah i thought he started the match like so well though and i think mm. that harked back to what he said at the end of the quarterfinal that he was you know at the start of the match it's nil nil and you know you've just got to go for it and forget what's happened prior in all of his previous matches it was so positive he was and you know to be fair to him yeah like you said he didn't give up i mean not that players do but it's so easy to get disheartened when you're failing to you know convert your break points but the fact that he was able to hold until you know the last you know bit of each set um you know a lot of players would have crumbled a lot earlier and gone a break down like straight away and it would have been a, a, a real formality and you kept thinking oh if if Shapovalov could just you know convert a break point get a set you know we might have a bit more of a match on our hands and um I think he definitely deserved a set but you know you're playing against you know the world <laughs> number one and if there's anyone that you know is going to be like a brick wall down the other uh, down the other end of the court you know it is Novak Djokovic and I mean just talking about Novak Djokovic's game in that first set as I said it wasn't it wasn't the best Novak Djokovic we've seen and I think that's what makes so what makes it so scary at the moment is that his his low level is still able to kind of drag him through against someone like Shapovalov, who, you know, was, you know, he was playing and executing his his game plan. And even though, you know, through the first two sets, Djokovic was, you know, had won 72 points, Shapovalov very close behind on 70 points. Djokovic was two sets up and it just showed you, despite the, the sort of parity with the you know the the point play when it came to those big points it was a completely different story and i think you know djokovic should save those five break points i think he was you know shapovalov you know was love 40 on on djokovic's serve at one point in the i think in the second set it just it just showed i think the lack of potentially you know the lack of experience that shapovalov has um you know when it comes to playing you know at this level on this sort of occasion at a semi final you know this is his his first time and it is you know it is a learning experience for him but djokovic just was able to kind of bring it out and and once he went two sets up you just sort of felt that he wasn't there was no realistic prospect of of him letting it go no, and I think, you know, we think about like Stefanos Tsitsipas, who's played Novak a couple of times in slams. And I think with each time he's getting closer and he's learning from his prior um, prior match. And I, I feel like this is the first step on that ladder for Shapovalov. And hopefully, should this happen again, you know, he will actually learn from today. And, you know, it's not going to happen immediately. It's, you know... Yes, we get players that burst into the scene and, you know, like Rafa, you know, who just kind of wins from from the go. But, you know, that is rare and we have to, you know, allow these players time to to learn and adapt and grow. And um, I think, yeah, this is a very, very good first step. And Shapovalov all tournament has been very impressive. And, you know, he's the fact that he, as I said before, had these opportunities, I think, is what he should be focusing on rather than, oh, I didn't do this shot at that time. It's like, you know, you if Berrettini has this many chances in the final, um, 
I think he's going to need that basically, you know, because it, it doesn't that doesn't happen very often when you play Djokovic, and you you have got to take your um, your moments. And and I and I think just just on kind of Shapovalov, you know, I think with his his game, certainly I think with his team, he'll need to be kind of going away and. You know, I think, you know, looking at the positives in terms of, yes, I was able to go toe to toe with Djokovic in terms of the, you know, the rallies. And I think that was a very kind of positive thing. But I certainly think he needs to go away and think about how, how he potentially approaches those big points differently, because it's those moments where I think there's definitely still a, you know, a big gap for him, I think, to close with regards from him to someone, you know, like a Novak Djokovic or a Rafael Nadal, someone at that very, very top level, he's going to need to know how he plays and how he closes, uh, you know, those points in order to start winning sets off these guys in slams and start winning these these matches. You know, I'm sure it's going to come in, in the future. Um, you know, he definitely looks like someone who will at least get to, you know, a, a Grand Slam final. I have no doubt about that. Um, I think, you know, what's great about his game is that it's such a, you know, he's got all the the skills, I think, in regards to his game, it feels very all court in terms of applying to kind of the different surfaces. So you kind of, I think, see him as a threat across the the year in general. And it's it's nice, I think, for for British fans to see him make this this breakthrough here. You know, I've seen him, you know, on Twitter be really kind of um, encouraged by the inspiration that he's seen and the, uh, as I said, the, the support that he's been given from various fans. I saw like a, a little, a primary school, I think, kind of, cheer him on with a little with a song which he was really happy about so he's definitely won I think won some fans but I think there's certainly kind of work to do with those big points but also also his ball toss Kim I mean it's how would you describe his ball toss I mean it's a bit funny at times isn't it yeah and I mean also when he bounces the ball before serving it goes kind of like <laughs> through, through his the legs. back of his legs yeah, yeah. Which I would be able think- to do that it's very complicated, but he's obviously got it down to a fine art. Um, and Joe, I mean, you're a bit obsessed with ball tosses because you were going on about Federico Del Bonis's ball toss before we started recording. Mm. Of all people, um, you know, that's very kind of... Is that appropriate for the grass courts, Federico Del Bonis? I don't think so. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, Del Bonis's ball toss, it just goes miles and miles up. Whereas I think with Shapovalov's ball toss, it goes... He has this tendency for it to go... Uh, you know, to the right, to the side. And again, it's something I think that he is going to need to work on because it was happening, you know, quite, quite a few times actually. And it, it, I, I actually got to, it actually got to a point where I thought, you know, was there an argument there? It's, is there an argument there to say, you know, in the, in the future, whether, you know, once the ball is, the one that the ball is tossed into the air, you have to take, like, you have to take the serve. Now, I know, I think we've had this sort of kind of debate in the past, but, you know, when you see kind of Shapovalov do like three sort of iffy ball tosses in a row and just like not start the point. I don't know if it brings up potentially for some of our listeners, potentially for fans out there, whether there's a you know reason that, you know, he's a tennis player. He needs to be able to, when he throws the ball up, needs to be able to serve it. You know, arguably the point starts when the ball is in the hand, not, you know, when it touches the racket for the first time. So I don't know if that might be might be an issue, but it's, it's certainly, I think, something that Shapovalov could, uh, that well, needs to work on. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And if you threw the ball up and then didn't serve, that that could be counted as a fault. I mean, I, when I see that, I just think, oh, someone's got, you know, a lot of nerves going on if they're doing three ball tosses in a row and, and not able to serve. I can see a Fabio Fornini just getting really annoyed at, you know, someone not just like 
having their ball tossed together and just being able to sort of reset and and the player at the opposite almost is our is it like a you know a, a mini disadvantage perhaps Perhaps. I mean, if, you know, Shapovalov had issues today a, a few times, I mean, he's playing down the other end, you know, someone who can take his sweet time, you know, bouncing the ball for about 70 times in a row. So <laughs> I think, you know, every player like Rafa takes his time, perhaps doing like three ball tosses is just, you know, I don't know his thing. But yeah, I mean, I do think if you're doing that consistently and it's like many ball tosses and that's a problem, if it's just the odd one, fine. It's funny because it's it's literally just that part because when his serve mm. does go in, it's a real, you know, it is a real weapon for him. Um, you know, it, it's a very good and it's a very orthodox action, I think, with, you know, his first serve and his second serve. But yeah, it's just that first, that first part of it. It just seems to go a bit haywire at, at points. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how he gets on with that in, in the next, <laughs> you know, couple of tournaments. But um, let's look at the other semi-final Joel and Novak Djokovic's opponent in the final will be Matteo Berrettini uh, he came through Hubert Hercage in four sets uh, to reach yeah his first Grand Slam final uh, also the first Italian player to reach uh, the singles final at Wimbledon um, both out of the men and the women which is quite mad I think as a statistic I hadn't realized that Italy had never had a, a finalist at Wimbledon in the singles but um yeah, full credit to Berrettini. He um, didn't lose his serve at all. Um, he saved all the break points he faced. Uh, Herkage was able to grab that third set tie break. But other than that, you know, there was only really going to be one winner today. I think one of the big question questions going into this match was how well was Hubert Herkage going to be able to return the Berrettini serve? And the answer, the answer was not very well. You know, I don't think he... You know, he had two break points, I think, in the whole match. He went 14%, uh, you know, returns one on the Berrettini first serve. And, you know, with those sorts of numbers, you're not, you're just not going to be able to, you know, make, make inroads. And, and yes, he won that, that tie break in the third set. And, you know, that was, you know, I think that was pretty impressive given that he got, he got bageled in that second set. Um, but, yeah, in in order to kind of win win that match, he, he felt that probably that he would have needed to have done a lot more than he did. I mean, that's an easier, you know, that's easier said than done. Berrettini, again, over the last kind of couple of weeks, has just been serving absolutely fantastically. I think going into the semi-finals, he was number one in terms of uh, first first serve points one and second serve points one. So. You know, it's it's going to be no, you know, it's going to be no mean feat. We know that's his one of his biggest weapons, and the fact that it it just helps him kind of set up the point. You know, finding that forehand and just unle- and, you know, and just unloading it. I think you know, perhaps maybe there are a couple of times when he was quite obviously kind of trying to get round for his forehand, and perhaps made himself a little vulnerable um, if he didn't find you know quite find the line, or he was going a bit too kind of central. But more often than not, he was able to kind of create that on-court dominance early on in the point from you know the first serve or the second serve and that was you know that was the reason why he was able to win him four absolutely I think you know Herkaj just yeah was not able to make any real inroads on the Berrettini serve I mean it was just so so dominant and I also feel like Herkaj you know you know he had that big win over Federer probably 
naturally going to be on a slight letdown perhaps from that as well because like come down and into his first Grand Slam semi-final as well the you know Berrettini is slightly more experienced at this level you know not by much but slightly more and I think you know probably coming up against a massive server and thinking oh gosh what am I going to do and suddenly going two sets down yeah. it's I'm, you know it is impressive that he managed to to keep with him in the third set to be honest personally think the the way that Berrettini was playing caused it caused that I think that mental fragility that I think her showed that yeah that panic that was that second set that bagel I mean his ground strokes just particularly his forehand just completely deserted him and I think that all it all stemmed from the fact that he was just making you know he probably felt like he was playing all right tennis in that first set you know it was, it was going on serve early on but yeah, sort of panic just kind of set in, you know, not being able to make inroads very quick, you know, serve, you know, service times for Berrettini back on her cash's serve. And he just maybe, you know, froze, froze a little bit. And it was literally like blink and you miss it stuff. And he was two, you know, two sets to down. And, and maybe that kind of freed him up a little bit. Um, I don't, I'm not saying Berrettini, I don't, I don't think, to be honest, he played a particularly bad third set. Um, it just got to that tie break where Herkash was able to maybe kind of maybe he was kind of able to visualize it a bit more he's like right I can just focus on the tie break um, you know a few points kind of here and there and that maybe is what what helped him but you know a- apart from that it, that was pretty much as, as good as it got because Berrettini was able to find that break in in the fourth and, and he didn't let any sort of pressure kind of get to him he just sort of continued in his you know unassuming sort of way I think and it just carried him over the finish line yeah I'm really pleased that Berrettini has backed up that Queen's victory and, and got to the final here because a lot of people were expecting and predicting that and I'm I'm pleased that he you know has continued his his grass court success from 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 Queens and I mean looking ahead to the final he um he's played Djokovic twice before has never beaten him it's a two nil head to head um for me you know obviously Djokovic is the massive favourite so Berrettini you know big occasion but he's in a way you know, no one's expecting him to win so I do hope he takes the pressure off himself just goes for it um, but I do feel that you know Djokovic yes you know Berrettini has an amazing serve and has been very dominant but Djokovic is the best returner in the game and I, I just I don't see I don't think that the serve is gonna I, I don't see how Berrettini's got enough all round in his game to, to topple Djokovic it's all gonna rest in, in those those first two shots I think isn't it the Berrettini serve and the Djokovic return because I think Djokovic is is so good with his returns it's not just a case of getting it back I think he's will be able to get it back and and direct it to the you know the Berrettini backhand which is certainly I think a tactic that he'll be looking to employ um so that will be a, a fascinating encounter it very much reminds me Kim of you know when Andy Murray played Milos Raonic you know a few a few years ago in the, in the Wimbledon final again a player who had like Raonic he had an absolutely massive serve coming up against a player who is very very well known uh, for his returns, and I think it went to you know a cu- couple of tiebreak sets and a and a seven five. So I do wonder if we are going to get some you know get more than one tiebreak potentially in the final, and it you know it might come down to kind of the the big points here and there. But but even so, you'd sort of expect Djokovic to to still have the edge. 
Yeah, I can see Berrettini clinching a set on a tie break. Um, but beyond that, I, I really he's gonna have I don't to think... serve. Really, he's gonna have to serve yeah. like Queen's final. I think like level of of first serving, isn't he? But even then, Cam Norrie was able to to win a set, mm. and you know, I don't think Berrettini does enough on on return games. Actually, I don't. I don't think he's got enough to to hand to to challenge Djokovic. But I think you know, if he if he goes if it goes to five sets, I'd be very surprised. Let's just say that much. Um, I mean, Italy have a big day on Sunday, don't they? Berrettini in the <laughs> they final, do. In, they in, do. England, Italy yeah. at Wembley. So I'm sure Berrettini will. Well, I mean, I don't think the final in the tennis would last until like eight pm. But <laughs> oh, that, God, would, be that going would be an tough. absolute hot dilemma, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially with their quick service games. I'm sure Berrettini will throw in quite a few, you know, love service games. So. I, I do think there are weaknesses there with the Berrettini game, uh, you know, particularly I think with still with that backhand. Yes, it's it's improved over this season, but I still think Djokovic will be looking to target that. And anything anything that I think comes short, Djokovic might look to to come into the net. Uh, you know, I think he will do well. I think to maybe kind of keep the points kind of short and not let not get to a moment where Berrettini can you know unload on on the forehand because I think. Any opportunity that that Berrettini has to do that, I think he will he will take it. And again, I, I think another kind of point for for Berrettini will be yes, yes is yes is serve, but also in terms of his forehand, keeping that unforced that unforced error count down and keeping it in the the positives. I think between winners and unforced errors I think that again will be a a contributing factor so it's going to be a a fascinating matchup I think we both it's quite obvious I think what both players kind of strengths are and it will be it'll be interesting but at the same time you sort of you're sort of sensing it's going to be a little bit of a a procession for, for Novak Djokovic yeah, I keep thinking back to their last match at Roland Garros in the quarterfinals. And, um, you know, the first two sets were very formulaic, I think, like 6-2, 6-3. And it was only that that third and fourth set, you know, which got slightly testy. And then, you know, we had that battle cry from Novak um, at the end of the match. But I just I can't see beyond the way it was in those first two sets. And and the other thing as well is if, if Djokovic breaks the Berrettini serve early... You know, Berrettini's mm. not going to have been in that situation very yeah. often this this grass court season. So, again, it would be fascinating to see how he kind of reacts reacts to that. And you know, like I guess like Hercage today, you know, he could go into full full on you know pan yeah you know, he could go into full on panic mode. And if he does that, then it could you know unravel for him quite quickly because you might think you know my best shot, Djokovic is sort of taking it apart. What else do I have? Panic stations. Um, you know, it, it 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 could manifest itself like that. So again, it will be he will need, I think, a lot of composure. He will need a lot of things going in the, you know, in the, you know, in the doing re- kind of doing really really well for him. It's not just going to be about his his first serve and getting it for it getting it in. There's going to be a lot of components that he's going to need to be, you know, at the very top of his game in order to, I think, even take a set uh, off Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I think early on is crucial, like you said. Um, if he starts nervously, loses yeah. his serve, and then he thinks, oh, what else am I supposed to do now? Because, <laughs> you know, my biggest weapon is being neutralised. Help, you know. I, I really hope we don't see an obliteration job, but it, mm. it may I happen. It. I can't see it. I can't see it. I still, no. I still, I still think, you know, Bertini is, as I said, he's a very cool and, and calm mm. player. Let's hope. I mean, 
maybe uh, maybe he, he he doesn't necessarily i mean he does show it sometimes he is he is vocal maybe not as vocal as some other italians like uh you know fabio fornini but mm-hmm. um yeah it will be i mean it will, yeah it will be fascinating but at the same time there's so much you know there's so much riding on it for, for novak Djokovic. he knows that you know he knows what's at stake particularly with you know nadal sitting out of of wimbledon federer out of the equation seemingly on on the way down golden slam on the line this is another you know another step towards that and he will you know he will not want to he will not want to let that slip yeah i mean that's that's a good point actually because he is very intent and has said clearly that he wants to do the golden slam so that perhaps is the only you know thing that might get to novak is his desire could be so strong for that that he um perhaps has nerves of his own but we know he's absolutely mentally you know he's made of steel so again that's also unlikely but um we will see Joel we will see come Sunday what is occurring um just before we go to a break quick bit of news on men's tennis I suppose let's let's uh throw this out there Nick Kyrgios has announced that he is not going to be playing the Olympics and the reason that he's kind of stated is the fact that he'll be playing in front of empty stadiums, which he said doesn't sit right with him. Um, and, you know, because it, it was announced also that uh, the, the Tokyo Olympics will not have any fans at all. Um, what do you make of that? You know, has he been missing all this time because of all of the tournaments not having fans and he only came back for Wimbledon because he knew there was going to be, you know, at least 50% capacity? Is that what we're making of that? There's lots of different reasons, I think, coming out for players not being at the Olympics. And this is, uh, for me, this was a, like, for me, this was a new one. You know, I think, you know, the, the typical reasons that I feel like pl- tennis players have are, you know, they'd rather chase ranking points and potential titles in, in America, or, you know, maybe their, their body's not, uh, quite right yet, or then, you know, they're not fit. I think Kyrgios has sort of acknowledged that as, as well. And he doesn't want to take that opportunity away from, in his words, a healthy Aussie athlete, uh, ready to represent the country. So I, I find it a bit, yeah, I find, I think the first part though is, is quite interesting that he doesn't want to play in front of en- empty stadiums. And I guess it shows fans, you know, what, and I think we already sort of know this is what motivates Nick Kyrgios on a tennis court. You know, we've seen, he loves those little crowd interactions. I think the crowds love them as well. You know, particularly, you know, I always think back to those times where he's, at, you know, at match point and he likes to go to the crowd and ask them, you know, where do you, where do you want me to serve um, on, you know, on, on match point. And I think for him, it's a, it's a big motivation and, and without, without fans there, maybe he doesn't feel motivated to play and, regardless of representing country it's the olympics and the the stature of that he just feels that you know at the end of the day with without fans it doesn't it doesn't interest me yeah i mean fair play you know he loves that um interaction like you said the kind of the emotions of of being in front of a massive audience and you know the audiences love him it's it's also <laughs> fair to say so um it's a shame but also you know he, he you know, everyone has their own reasons. And like you said, there there are lots of Australian men who I'm sure will be love, love, loving the fact that they can take up his slot. So we look forward to seeing what they do at the Olympics. And we'll welcome Nick back when we when we see him back on the tour. I think he's going to be in Washington. I think that ah, is the, okay. that is the, that, I think that is the, that's the conversation I think going on at the moment. I mean, Washington looks loaded already. Rafa's taken a Rafa, yeah, Rafa's, Rafa's taken there. a wild card into there. So the tournament organisers must be absolutely loving the uh, the setup they've got at the moment. So um, we'll see. I think Nick Kyrgios back on a, on a tennis court soon. We just won't see him at the Olympics. 
Absolutely. Right, let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be looking back on all of the women's semi-finals, including Ash Barty's quest for her maiden Wimbledon title and Carolina Pliskova's resurgence continuing. So do not go anywhere. This episode of The Passing Shot is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming to ensure you can always have new balls, please. And just in time for the grass court season, Manscaped have launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the appropriately titled Lawnmower 4.0. Over lockdown, tending to my nether regions has become an important routine, including the all-important issue of ball trimming. I love the lawnmower's smooth, comfortable grooming experience that gives me next-level attention to detail. And it makes an excellent gift for a male partner, friend or family member who maybe has a bit too much ball fuzz down there. So the Lawnmower 4.0 will serve up a right treat. Use Manscaped now with our exclusive code PSPOD20 to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. That's PSPOD20. Links in the description. Your balls will thank you. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking back at the ladies' semi-finals um, from yesterday. Uh, let's begin with Ash Barty against Angelique Kerber. So quite an interesting match this was. Obviously, world number one Barty against, you know, former champion, former world number one Kerber. And, you know, Barty very much had the the upper hand. Um, she, you know, took the first set. And then the match, you know, this is when the match, I think, got really interesting. Kerber break up in the second. You thought, oh, I'm, you know, I was really personally, like, just getting ready for that third set. I mm. was um, picturing a Kerber <laughs> comeback. Mm. I was, you know, I was really ready for it. And then it all kind of changed uh, when Kerber served for the second set, getting broken to love. Uh, Barty went on like an 11 point run and, you know, Kerber wasn't really the same player after that and uh, Barty managed to to clinch it in a second set tie break. So, yeah, I mean, showing showing why she's the current world number one, basically. It was a very impressive kind of mini fight back in that second set. I mean, I thought the quality in that match was very, very impressive, particularly in terms of that that winner and unforced error count. And for, for Ash Barty, a player who had no you know, had no grass court season prep. I think she said that it was very touch and go that she was going to play Wimbledon. And effectively, though, these last two weeks for her have been her grass court season. And I think, you know, that has sort of, it's sort of progressed like that. You know, she had a few kind of wobbles, I think, you know, early on, they were almost kind of, a, her, you know, her lead up matches. You know, you know, we always talk about that, that Suarez Navarro, the fact she dropped a set there. But that first set against Kerber, I think that was, I think she said it herself, that was the best set of tennis she played this week. Um, she hit 17 winners, seven unforced errors, and it was just very, very, very good, very, very efficient. Very much what you would expect, I think, from, you know, a world number one. And again, you know, she she has kind of talked about in the past that, you know, for her winning Wimbledon is like a, would be a kind of a dream come true scenario. And that sort of inspiration that, that Wimbledon, I think, gives her really kind of motivates her. And again, I think we saw that in the, you know, the second set in terms of how much it means to her. And you know, she obviously did not want to let that go to a third where, you know, there potentially would have been a shift, you know, a shift in the momentum. And I think Barty was really able to kind of 
bring out the you know her best kind of fighting qualities to get back on level level on Kerber and just kind of take it away from her. But it was a really fascinating match that I think ebbed and flowed. And I think, you know, unlike kind of the semi-finals that the Barty has been in in the past, you know, at Grand Slam, where I think she's gone in as the a favourite against someone who is maybe a bit more, uh, you know, unknown or a bit of more of a surprise package. The fact that she, she already knew, I think, coming into this, you know, what, what Kerber stands for, what she can bring to a court, what she can bring to centre court. Um, it really kind of brought the best out of her in terms of her game. Yeah, and her her slice does cause quite a bit of trouble, doesn't it, for for opponents? Oh, so I'm sure yes. Kerber would rather. Yeah, I'm sure Kerber would rather she didn't have to deal with that. Um, and you know, I mean, it was a bit annoying that that second set tiebreak. You know, as a as a fan watching from home, wasn't more competitive. You know, going six six love down in that tiebreak. You know, you're thinking, gosh, if Kerber's going to come back, she's going to have to come back from six consecutive match points down, which. Has anyone ever done that in a match? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, Barty's serving, Barty serving was exceptional. She won 88%. Oh, yeah. 88% first serve points won, which I think at times this week, the, the, the Barty serve has maybe looked an area of, of weakness. But again, it's been a, um, you know, it's been a, a source of three points. It's been a source of being able to start a point on, you know, the right foot. Um, it's been, I think it's been a, one of the reasons she's been able to, you know make the you know make the Wimbledon final because it's just been it's just been very very impressive and even against someone like Kerber it was doing serious damage yeah and she's coming into this tournament not having played a warm-up event you know whereas Kerber had played bad Homburg and won it so like it's very impressive the way Barty's just kind of immediately like rocked up and yes she dropped a set in her first round but she's really just going from strength to strength as she's gone through the tournament and I mean, she's so nifty. Like, I know it's not a very technical <laughs> word, but she's just like the niftiest player on tour. <laughs> it's not the flashiest game, is it? It's not mm. like a... No, no. It's not like a Denis Shapovalov sort of style of play, but it's it's very, it's very, very durable, isn't it? And regardless of what type of opponent she comes up against, it's it's just like, it's just very, very hard to see how they overcome the, you know, the Barty variety and... You know, the Barty Party, Kim, it's it's sort of starting up again, isn't it? The, you know, particularly at Wimbledon, who, I mean, who knows where we're going to go with the final. But it's, I think what's been so impressive about about this run is, as I said, the, the number of challenges I think she's she's faced and, and had to overcome. And, you know, in talking about that, you know, that injury, you know, at the French Open, the little amount of time that she actually, I mean, she's literally had like what 20 odd days to, to get herself ready, to get her body ready for Wimbledon. Um, no match practice. She probably had shortened, you know, practice sessions as well because of, you know, being able to, you know, having to nurse that injury. Doesn't matter. She is, you know, she's the world number one for the reason. When we see, I think, you know, those sorts of players are just able to show that, that spirit and that kind of gutsiness. And that's what elevates them, I think, above you know other other players around them and it's i think that's the thing that's been so impressive about her her getting to the final is all of the all of the things that she's had to overcome just to get there yeah and i mean this is absolutely not taking anything away from her at all but i remember when she won the french open there was a lot of hoo-ha about the fact that she didn't have to play anyone particularly highly ranked and in a way you know she hasn't had to play 
anyone in the top 10. I think Krachichkova was probably her highest ranked opponent. And I think Pliskova will, will now be her highest ranked opponent. She's 13 in the world at the moment, obviously has been in the top 10 for, for donkey's years. So technically is a top 10, I suppose. Um, if you, if you want to, you know, be splitting hairs, but, um, I, I think you said to me, Joel, there's some ridiculous statistic that in the women's <laughs> slams, yeah. there hasn't been a match, any match between two top 10 opponents in like in a long time. Yeah. How many years? Oh, it's absolutely beggar's yeah. belief, to be honest. Maybe, maybe um, not how many years, but there's certainly how many slams. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not something. Ridiculous. It's, it's, it, you know, it's a result of the depth in the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, we've seen that in the, in the semi finals. We've had what? We've had twelve different semi-finalists um, in the in the first three slams of this season on the on the WTA side, and you know, as you, as you said, as a result of that, we've, we're not seeing kind of the the top ten sort of matchups that maybe we we expect and and we see on on the men's side. So I don't I don't I don't yes yes she may not have faced anyone uh, you know above a certain ranking but i don't think we should be taking that as kind of expected on, on the women's tour because of the as you said because of the depth because of the you know the ranking situation as well it is a very much a you know a, a free-for-all and and i think with this tournament you know as as the world number one barty is as has, has restored some sort of some sort of order i think at the the top of the women's game yeah, because it's looking likely that we're going to have both top seeds winning this weekend. But um, Carolina Pliskova may have something to say about that. And and actually, if she'd have lost to Sabalenka, Sabalenka Barty would have been the first um, match between two top tenors in a women's slam in a very long time. But it's not to be because <laughs> Pliskova, ironically, has just dropped out of the top ten <laughs> and is now therefore that was the motivation she needed, Kim, to yeah, get to exactly. another uh, slam final. She's like, I must get back into the top 10 immediately. I will make the Wimbledon final to do that. I would love that if she said in a press conference, if someone asked her, what what has motivated you to to reach your, your second final? And she said, I really wanted to be back in, in the top 10 again <laughs> in the, the women's rankings. Not to win the tournament, just, just to be back in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this was um, also another kind of crazy statistic. Uh, the first time that the loser of the opening set in a women's single semi-final at Wimbledon actually went and won the match uh, since 2010. So it's not very often that you come back from a set down in a... Wimbledon semi-final it seems but um I mean Pliskova was very unlucky to lose that first set because she was holding serve uh with ease and then right at the end you know uh Sabalenka 6-5 up and Pliskova break point down she hits a double fault uh to give you know the set away um but other other than that she came back um you know started the second set very strongly and then after that didn't even I think have a didn't even give away a break a break point you know she she was dominant on serve and Sabalenka didn't have enough and Pliskova was able to to get that one break on each of the in the last two sets um and finish off I mean Sabalenka was serving big big time in the mm. in that yeah, particularly were. in that first set she mm. saved eight break points of eight which was very very impressive and yeah as you said literally she got one opportunity Sabalenka in that first set and took it to break to win 7-5 and I think you know, I think about this match and I think about that first set and how it went and how disappointed Carolina Pliskova, you know, probably was. And if if that match, I think, had happened earlier on in the season and it was the same situation, I would have fully expected Pliskova to just 
just fall away and lose some, you know, seven, five, six, one or, or something because of the, the, you know, the energy that she probably spent in the, in the first set and the, you know, the, the disappointment she would have faced. But I think, you know, massive, I think credit to her and her team. You know, she's got Sasha Bajin in her corner. I, I was really impressed about how she responded, I think, to, you know, losing a set that, you know, in the back of her head, she felt like she probably should have won. And I, I, again, that's for me was what was so impressive about this victory was that she went one set down, but she was able to reset. She was able to kind of put it in the, in the, you know, the back of her head, not think about it and get the job done. Yeah. And it was Sabalenka who was more emotionally, um, obvious on court wasn't it and and I suppose you know probably rightly so when you're up against a a server who's very dominant you think oh you know give me a break will you (laughs) like literally (laughs) um and I do wonder Pliskova coming across so calm is this a Sasha buy-in effect you know he's been working with her I think since the start of the season and so far hadn't you know had any sort of physical results on the court per se but um you just wonder if that's finally filtering through um although I do remember Pliskova got to I think the Rome final and got double bageled by Sviontek so I do hope that we're not going to see something like that happening uh t- tomorrow because that would be obviously a massive shame I don't think she's gonna you know she seems to be like playing the best tennis of her career this tournament so I think Rome was obviously another story probably an injury going on or something but um I mean the head-to-head isn't great no. against no. Barty and I mean Pliskova is going to be going from an opponent like Sabalenka to to Barty and there's a that's a completely different kettle of fish isn't it you know you've got the, the power game of, of Sabalenka to the you know to the variety and the, you know the back <laughs> the backhand slice of, of Ash Barty so she's I definitely think she's going to need to approach that game differently and with a different mindset and and the other the other factor is, I think as well. You know, you, you spoke about that. That you know, we all, I think we all remember that that double bagel, uh, you know, against Hallett. But also, she's not been in a Slam final for you know for a while. You know, it was the uh, you know it was the U.S. Open. You know, many seasons ago now. And how are the you know how are the nerves going to be with that? And you know, with as I said, with that opportunity, I think to sort of rewrite. You know, she's got the opportunity to rewrite her. I think legacy. Um, you know, with a match against Barty, if she comes through that and, and wins it, because she will no longer be talked about as one of the, you know, one of the worst world number ones to have, you know, never, never won of Sam. She can take herself firmly off that list. So I think, you know, I hope nerves again aren't a factor, but you just, you just don't know because she's not been in this situation for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's almost quite similar to the Berrettini Novak uh, matchup in a way. You know, one player very dominant on their serve. Will they be able to, you know, pull that out the bag on the on the big day? And will they uh, their opponent have kind of too much depth and variety to, you know, to nullify the the serve? And will Pliskova be able to handle Barty's slice? You know, there's sort of so many questions, really. I mean, 2016 Kim was last time she was yeah. in a, a Slam final. Yeah. Do yeah. you? I mean, just just talking about. Pliskova and, and slam finals do you see this as a resurgence or do you see this as a as a, as a one-off do you think do you think this is sort of a you know a late late blooming Pliskova I've, you know I think it's safe to say Ash Barty we're going to see her in in more grand slam finals in in the future but again is this another reason that Pliskova will feel like you know now it's now it's, or never <laughs> or never yeah no, like no pressure yeah I mean it could be sort of yeah and that sort of Pavlichenko vein of form in like one really you know decent tournament suddenly being put together sort of kind of seemingly out of the blue 
you know, I'm probably not going to see Pavlichenko in another slam final. Will we see Pliskova? I mean, I think she's a bit, you know, of a di- different kettle of fish than Pavlichenko. Perhaps that's not the best comparison, but I hope we, I hope this is the start of something and we don't just see her, you know, back to where she was because she's better than that, really. I mean, she's not got form on her side. As I said, the head to head is 5 2 Barty. She's Barty's won the last three. In, interestingly, though, their, their their first ever match was played on British grass in the 2012 50k ITF in Nottingham. Sixteen-year-old uh, Barty beat Pishkova, who was 20 years old, in a final set tiebreak, eight-six on route to the title. But I mean, there's obviously something there about Pishkova's game that that Barty can just sort of lap up, and again, it, it might just be that variety that just has in the past seemingly overwhelmed Pliskova or she's not been able to kind of figure it out. So, you know, I think Sasha Bajin is going to, he's going to be, he's going to be working hard. I think, you know, you know, over, overnight, you know, tomorrow morning to just understand what it is they need to do in order to, to combat that variety and put Pliskova in a position where she could potentially call herself the Wimbledon ladies Grand Slam champion. Yeah, and she'll be hoping to replicate, you know, Petra Kvitova's victory, which I think was mm. 10 years ago, her first Wimbledon title. So that would be the last Czech player to have won Wimbledon uh, on the ladies. So, yeah, will it be two... Kvitova, yeah. To, from Kvitova, yeah, could have two Czechs in a row. So, <laughs> I mean, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? But we, we shall see. I mean, let's just make very quick predictions, Joel. I think we're both saying Djokovic. Are you saying Barty as well? I think I'm gonna gonna have to go with her. Yeah, I can't argue against. The, I just can't argue against the form book. And I think maybe as much as as much as they will have a game, Pliskova will have a game plan. I just wonder if she will be able to to execute it. And I think I think Barty. I think Barty will just be able to win. I think it might be Barty in two. Um, I just think she's just looked very, very good. She's gone from strength to strength and she's shown that I think her serve is, is doing very, very well, um, you know, particularly in that Kerber match. So yeah, I want to, I want to, I do, I do really, I do really want Pliskova to sort of get the monkey off her back in terms of that first slam title, but I just can't, I just can't argue against the, uh, the top seed and the world number one. Yeah, I'm going for Barty as well. I think, like you said, form book is everything. And obviously, I'm going for Djokovic too. So um, let's hope I'm proved wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really, um, I don't think, I think, you know, the world number ones are going to own it this Wimbledon. Uh, but let's have a look at the doubles quickly, Joel, because got getting some doubles finals uh, lined up. Uh, we've got Elise Mertens and, and Sue Wei Shea in the women's doubles final. Um, and they're going to be playing Vashnina and Kudermatova, all Russian pairing, um, which I think Vashnina, yeah, they were the pairing that knocked out Kritichka and Zinyakova. So it's nice to see them go all the way to the final. And I remember predicting Kudermatova to do something at, at Roland Garros, I think. So <laughs> I obviously knew she was going to do something in a slam uh, at some point. I wonder, what Sabalen- I wonder what Sabalenka's making of Elise Mertens getting to the mm. ladies' doubles final with someone that isn't Sabalenka. Well, yeah, I mean, it just shows that Mertens is a class class doubles player i mean this is her first grand slam final with siway shay and you know they they had quite a a marathon last game in their in their semi-final today and uh had to fend off a lot of break points to finally <laughs> get over the finish line and they were the ones i don't know if 
listeners remember at Roland Garros that had like seven match points against Matic Sands and, Svi- and Svjontek and ended up losing. So, oh, you yes. know, they've, they've had some crushing defeats of late. So it's nice that they were able to, um, to get through. And then, well, gentlemen's doubles, I suppose. <laughs> It's going to be the top seeds again winning this one, isn't it? With Metic and uh, Pavic, you know, um, in the final. They've got Granolas and Ceballos to play. How have a Spaniard and an Argentinian doubles pairing got to the, the Wimbledon doubles final? That is just, I mean, that's just impressive by itself. They did beat an Italian and an Argentinian in the semi-final, oh, okay. that makes so sense. maybe that helped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Metic and Pavic have looked, I think they've just looked class apart this week and Although they had a very tricky match, I think, against Joe Salisbury and, and Rajiv Ram, you could see in the, you know, at the end when they won match point, they could see how much it meant to them. I feel like they know this title is on their racket. And given that they had to pull out dramatically from the French Open with um, you know, coronavirus, they will certainly want to make this make this one count. Absolutely. Yeah, they pretty much won everything else they've mm. they've played this year. So um, <laughs> I will be watching that with interest uh, tomorrow after the um, the women's final. And um, we've got the mixed doubles at the moment, Joel, as we're recording. They've just closed the centre court roof because Joe Salisbury and Harriet Dart are set all in their mixed doubles semi-final. So fingers crossed that Joe and Harriet can come through that one. They may end up playing, if they get there, uh, Neil Skupski in the final because he's in the other semi-final, which I assume is being played tomorrow um he's playing with Krojic who was the player that Salisbury won Roland Garros with um and then dropped for Harriet Dart for Wimbledon Ooh, so it's all a bit, a bit of spice yeah that exactly would a bit of spice wouldn't it to the uh yeah. big final if that happened yeah but we'll, we'll see they may they both may not get there but let's hope they did both do and we'll have you know three out of four uh, in that final will be British. Um, also, just talking about British players, Joel, I don't know if you've seen any of the boys' singles um, had the quarterfinal earlier with um, Jack Pennington-Jones of Great Britain uh, losing out in three sets to an American called Lilov. Um, but yeah, he seems to be, you know, next next prospect for um, for British singles. I'm, I'm wondering if next year he'll get a wild card like like Jack Draper did this mm. year. I mean, he's maybe. he's 18 years old, so I feel like mm. he must be in a in you know a state now where he will be looking to kind of progress and move up from juniors into maybe the like the you know the Challenger Tour or the you know the Futures Tour. So yes, it's nice. I think nice to see him kind of get you know tv coverage i think uh you know for wimbledon for british fans just to put him on people's radar he certainly I, I certainly had not heard or been aware of him as much kind of going into the tournament but it's great to see uh you know new players new talent um getting to the the latter stages of the the juniors as well you know it's not all just about the you know the you know the men's and, and women's it's it's fascinating to see you know who does well in the juniors because i think ash barty has an opportunity she won the juniors i think 10 years ago yeah I think she she i think can become the fourth uh only the fourth player ladies player ever to do the double in terms of the, the juniors and the grown-ups so um the grown-ups grown <laughs> yes I, well, right, the, so- I wanted to say the seniors but that just didn't feel that just felt they're a bit not too... old enough yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it's the grown-ups uh final tomorrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean interestingly pinnington jones actually did play wimbledon qualifying he must have got a wild card into the qualies he lost to arthur rindeneck in the second round in straight sets who was the guy that played oscar otter and lost in that last set, oh, that you know, massive, twelve all yeah, tie break. Yeah. So, and then obviously Otto lost to Murray. So, yeah, big, um, 
big link up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got also Gordon Reed in the wheelchair singles, uh, men's final against Gerard. Um, so that's to come as well. Um, and one of your faves, De Groot, is in the women's, uh, wheelchair final. Although De Groot and Van Coot are out in the mm, doubles. In the ladies doubles. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. But Hewitt and Reed are in the men's final, as yes. per. So, yeah. And Lucy Shuka and Jordan Wiley are in the ladies' doubles mm. final, but on separate teams. So, either way, we're going to have a British winner. <laughs> and just before we leave, um, listeners may be interested to know what is going on with our collector set. And uh, it all kind of rests on Berrettini still. So, uh, we've got a whole load of people who have predicted him as the finalist, but... Um, no one's predicted him as the winner, <laughs> which is probably quite understandable. But we, um, it will depend on what he does on Sunday. But we've got a couple of people who are perhaps going to tie. So we'll be sending out a provisional tiebreaker to those involved. So um, look out for that in your inboxes. Um, <laughs> if you think you're one of those, uh, we'll be contacting <laughs> you. But yeah, everyone's done. Um, I mean, we seem to be getting tiebreakers quite a lot, which means that a lot more people are doing doing better i mean so uh, certainly better than us i only got <laughs> i didn't even get a single one right joel you got two right so well yeah. done you've, you've beaten yeah. me i know yeah listeners look out look out for that we'll also put a little update on twitter as well but i hope you've enjoyed listening to this semi-finals catch up with the passing shot remember if you want to stay up to date on all the action over the weekend at wimbledon Make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify cast box stitcher you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you have been enjoying listening to our wimbledon coverage and you want to help the show out uh, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts and you can follow us on all social media channels facebook twitter and instagram we are at passing shot pod so do give us a like and a follow and a subscribe if you don't already um you can also reach us uh, on all of those channels to get in touch with your feedback or queries or comments or questions uh, we love to hear from everyone um and if you prefer you can also drop us an email passing shot pod at gmail.com and we will be back slightly later than usual uh, due to the due to the football, due to England versus Italy on Sunday night. So we are going to be recording our finals, final round by round catch up on Monday. So I hope you can join us for that. It's coming home. Is it? Is it, Joel? <laughs> it's Is coming it? home, Kim. It's coming home. We will see you again soon, listeners. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.